we were singing a song about encouraging one another. I'd like to turn to Hebrews in chapter 3 where it says that. In Hebrews in chapter 3, We can understand this only if we recognize what the Bible says, that we are members of one another. You can be a long time a Christian and not recognize that we are members of one another. We have no difficulty in recognizing that our hands and parts of our body are members We never forget that. I mean, if we get injured or something, we immediately know it. But in a small local church like this, particularly among those who are committed to this local church, we need to recognize that we are members of one another, just like the members of the body. And then we have to think of the danger of one of these members falling away. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Now the first question that we need to ask ourselves is, is, is that Whenever you read the verse in the Bible, you say, is that written for believers or unbelievers? I mean, if it's written for unbelievers, it doesn't apply to me. Those who do not believe in Christ will be damned. It doesn't apply to me. I can forget about it. But when it says brethren, that refers to me. Take care, brethren. No, that's for me that there should not be in in me an evil, unbelieving heart. Can that ever happen? Does God give me warnings about things that will never happen? I think there are a lot of people in hell today who despise the warnings of Scripture. It's like people who take drugs and despise the warnings and finally destroy themselves or road sign warnings people despise and have accidents the same way there are warnings in scripture more serious than the warnings on the road and medical warnings take care that there should not be in any one of you an evil unbelieving heart that will make you fall away from the living of God And so what should we do? We say, well, I'm not in that category. That's fine. I'm not going to fall away because I'm taking care. But if you're members of one another, then it says you've got to think of the other person too. There are people around you. You don't sit there thinking only about yourself and saying, well, I'm not going to fall away. I I don't believe I'll fall away. Because... I've been gripped by the truth of Christ but I can I must not think of only myself I must think of others around me 
encourage one another. Just like, you know, one member of the body cares for the other if it is weak or not able to do something, it helps. If one hand can't lift something, the other hand goes and helps. So encourage one another day after day. This is an amazing word. As long as it is called today, because one of these days, this today will be finished. And encourage one another so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is a very deceitful thing. It doesn't come openly saying, I'm come, I've come here to lead you astray. It's very deceitful and very subtle. People go into small bad habits and it becomes much worse. People tell small lies and gradually they become big liars. So we have a responsibility to encourage one another. Now in spite of our encouragement, some people may still fall away. We can't do anything about that. But it is my duty and it's your duty to, whenever you get a chance, to encourage people around you. And I don't mean in the church service only. If you meet them, talk to them, just speaking on the phone, writing an email, email to them, encourage one another. You know, it's interesting, I I started reading uh, when I was first converted in 1959, the King James Bible, because this New American Standard Bible was not even made then, it wasn't even translated And uh, I grew up reading the King James Bible and there this verse is translated as exhort one another daily. I suppose the Greek from which this is translated has got two possible meanings. I mean they wouldn't have just thought up some word. They, They thought there are two words there. Two meanings for that word whatever the Greek word is there. Exhort or encourage. And the King James Bible translators decided we'll put exhort. But then the New American Standard Bible translators said we'll put encourage. And I've thought of that, you know, because I've read both. Now I use the NASB. And I said, which of these do I prefer? Which do you prefer? And I have discovered that shows the type of person I am. If you prefer the King James Version, exhort people, you're a certain type of personality. If you prefer the NASB, which says encourage people, that's another type of personality. And I prefer this one, encourage. It's not that we never exhort, But encouragement must be daily. Exhortation, once in a while. Especially with our children. I'll tell you, if you keep on exhorting your children, do this, do this, and don't do this, do this, do this, do this, one day they'll get fed up. The distance will come between you and your children. And um, you'll never be able to fellowship with them. The aim that we should have with our children is that they grow up to become our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what I prayed for my own children when they were children. I said, Lord, one day I want they must become my brothers in Christ. I don't want them to be children forever. So, 
encourage one another daily because it's so easy to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And in this connection, I thought of what we considered last Sunday of Hebrews chapter 6. where it speaks about God giving us a strong encouragement. He's called in Romans the God of encouragement. And it says in Hebrews 6, verse 18, the middle, the God who cannot lie, in we who have taken refuge in Him, can have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope that is set before us. And the hope is that I will become like Jesus one day. And he says here that we, this is a hope that we have. The hope, we are told in 1 John 3, is I will become like Jesus when I see him. Never forget that. And it says here this hope must be like an anchor. We know that an anchor is what prevents a ship from drifting. You put the anchor and if it's holding down on solid ground, No storm, no waves can make that ship drift. Here is an anchor that will help you never to drift in your Christian life, never to fall away like we read there. An anchor. And um, it's a little difficult to understand this verse, but I want to try and explain it. It's an anchor, it says, which goes inside the veil, which is referring to the Old Testament tabernacle, the immediate presence of God, where Jesus has entered as our forerunner. Now we're going to make this very simple, not complicated. A forerunner means one who's gone ahead of us saying, follow me. It never says Jesus walked, he ran. Let us run the race looking unto Jesus. And Jesus has entered as a forerunner. His entire life, he was running a race. Tempted like us in all points, overcame. That was one step. Another temptation, he overcame. Another step. You know, like in the military, they say left, right, left, right, and they keep marching. And Jesus was running. And every step was a temptation that he overcame. The Bible says he was tempted in every single point that you are tempted with that I'm tempted with and he's shown us how we can overcome that's our encouragement that we can we need never be defeated no matter how much we've been defeated in the past this is what I preached for many years and I hope to preach that until Jesus comes we need not be defeated no matter how long you've been defeated so far you can be an overcomer look at Jesus who came exactly like you and overcame. He's a forerunner. He ran and I've got to run behind him. That's why he's called a forerunner. And he's called here a forerunner having become a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Now this goes back to the Old Testament. It says in the next verse, Melchizedek was the king of Salem priest of the Most High God who met Abraham 
when he returned from the slaughter of the kings please listen carefully and blessed him and then Abraham gave him a portion of the spoils so I want to think a little bit more with you about this Melchizedek who how did he bless Abraham and if Jesus is he's, he's told here he's a forerunner gone inside the whale a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek and we are sort of junior priests running after him so the Bible says we must compare scripture with scripture so we turn to Genesis in chapter 14 this is a passage of scripture that has encouraged me a lot and that's why I share it with you the story begins with Lot who was in Sodom and a lot of people made war with the king of Sodom and Gomorrah it says in verse 2 they made war with the king of Sodom all these other kings ganged up together and they defeated Sodom the king of Sodom verse 8 Genesis 14 8 the king of Gomorrah and all the other kings came out and the kings defeated them and it says in verse 10 in the middle Genesis 14.10 the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and they fell into the tar pits verse 10 of the valley of Sidim but some survived fled to the hill country and the kings who conquered them took all their goods and Lot Abraham's nephew was also captured he went away from Abraham and it is very dangerous to go away from a man of God he went after money despised being with God like Abraham was and he got into problems such people always do then somebody came and told Abraham hey by the way your nephew has been taken captive verse 14 you know what Abraham did remember Lot was the one who cheated Abraham by taking the best piece of the property when Abraham said you choose first and he grabbed the best part of Israel and of the nation what is now called Israel and Abraham had to take the other part and Abraham said fine and Abraham was not resentful or angry when he heard that his lot was captive he immediately got his 318 men trained men and said I'll go after them and rescue my brother lot and he divided his forces and imagine what the king in Sodom and Gomorrah could not do Abraham with 318 not soldiers but servants went out and pursued them and defeated them verse 15 it's amazing what what you can do when God is on your side if God supports you there's nothing impossible and brought back all the goods verse 16 and brought back Lot with his possessions and all the women it's a tremendous rescue a lot of opportunity for Abraham to be puffed up and proud that uh, with 318 servants imagine I defeated all these armies which um, there were so many kings I defeated all of them it's, it's quite a miracle I think God must have helped him in some amazing supernatural ways to do that first of all for him to go to that battle believing that God would help him with just untrained servants 
or not soldiers anyway. And then after the return, it says here, Melchizedek, verse 18, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God Most High. Now how in the world did Melchizedek, king of Salem, land up here where Abraham was? That's the thing that comes to my mind first of all. Remember, Jesus is called a priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is the only place in scripture where you read of Melchizedek. These one, two, three, four verses. That's all. The only four verses in the Bible where we read about his story and he's mentioned once in the Psalms. So it's interesting to read. If Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, I want to see what that means. Because if I'm supposed to be running the race behind him, I'm supposed to be a junior priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And you also. So what I see first of all here is, how did he land up where Abraham was? And I can think of only one possibility. This man was a man who was in touch with the true God. He had no connection with Abraham. Abraham was not the only one in touch with God. Here was another man who was in touch with God at the same time. And one of the wonderful things in those days of people who were in touch with God was God spoke to them. God told Abraham, leave your country and go here. God spoke to Samuel. God spoke to David. Today also God speaks, but it's through the Holy Spirit. And I want to say to you, in those days God was outside and He spoke from the outside. Today God has come inside and speaks from the inside. And I want to say to you that if you walk with the Lord, you'll be able to hear Him just as clearly inside as you can hear outside. But the important thing is to hear. And Melchizedek with a habit of listening That's the first thing I want to encourage you if you want to follow after Jesus as a priest, a junior priest of the order of Melchizedek. Learn to listen. Because when he listened, God said to him, take food for three, four hundred people, plenty of food, and go to such and such a place. He didn't know why take food for 400 people go to such and such a place okay God has told me that I'll do it and he collected all that food food and drink not knowing who it was for going there in simple faith and when he landed up there he saw this other servant of God Abraham who had come with his 318 servants tired exhausted from the battle Remember, I'm talking about the verse we started with, encourage one another daily. It's amazing what you'll be able to do if you daily develop the habit of listening. Lord, what do you want me to say? Is there someone you want me to share something with? And it may not be in the supernatural way that he spoke to Melchizedek. But 
God can bring across people across your path in the most amazing ways. And he wants you to have a word for them. The first thing is to listen. Develop the habit of listening to God every day. That is the first thing in Melchizedek's life that enabled him to be the priest that he was. And Jesus was like that. It says in Isaiah in chapter 50, Isaiah chapter 50, we read, here's a prophecy concerning Jesus. In verse 4, 5, and 6, verse 6 is, makes it very clear it's referred to Jesus. I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. That's Jesus, Isaiah 50, verse 6. And But the Lord helps me, so I will not be disgraced. So, we know this passage refers to Christ. And the first thing mentioned there in this paragraph is the Lord has given me verse 4 a tongue of a disciple to encourage weary people with a word we go back to what we thought in the beginning encourage one another daily and here's, here's how Jesus did it the father gave him a tongue of a disciple means one who was who had allowed his tongue to speak only what God allowed him to speak not gossip, not accusation, not anger. A tongue of a disciple. Pray, my brothers and sisters, that you will have the tongue of a disciple. And how to give the right word to a weary person. Encourage one another daily. Lest somebody around you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Here Jesus had the right word. And how did he get the right word? That's the point I want you to notice here. When he woke up in the morning, every morning, he woke up his spiritual ear to listen. Father, what do you want me to hear? Like Melchizedek. Out there he listened. Imagine if Melchizedek had not listened that day. He would not have gone with food to Abraham and Abraham and his servants would have starved because there was no food available there. So much is accomplished when we listen to God and so much is missed if you don't develop this habit. I'm very thankful that when I was a very young Christian, I was very zealous witnessing and going to meetings and all types of things and one day the Lord spoke to me as I was reading the Bible from the story of Mary and Martha. You know, Jesus visited the home of Mary and Martha and Mary was just sitting there listening to Jesus speaking along with the disciples and Martha was doing a very good thing cooking food for these twelve disciples and Jesus very good thing in fact that's the right thing a hospitable person will do a visitor come let me go and get something for them to eat and drink but she had no time to listen to God's word and then she was there cooking the food and the complaint in her heart why isn't Mary helping me you read that in Luke chapter 10 the last four verses and she comes to Jesus and says why don't you tell my sister to come and help me 
And those words of Jesus in Luke 10.42 is what the Lord spoke to me. Martha, Martha, you are worried about so many things. But only one thing is needful. Luke 10.42, I've never forgotten it. In all these nearly 60 years. Serving me, busy working, working for me is not what I want first of all. Listen to me. Listen to what I have to say. Then only you will be able to do what I want you to do. Otherwise you'll go around doing whatever you feel is right. Remember the words of Jesus in the temptation in the wilderness. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now in this book we have words that proceeded from God's mouth 2,000 years ago and 3,000 years ago. But what Jesus spoke about is about the word that proceeds, present tense, this proceeding now, not here. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There are words proceeding from the mouth of God every single day. Some people hear it, some people don't. Those who hear it, something happens in their life. Those who don't hear it, nothing happens. I get that from Genesis chapter 1. Every day God spoke. Was there a single day in those six days when God didn't speak? The Bible begins with saying that God speaks every day. The first chapter of the Bible, God's, God, on the first day God spoke. And something happened. Light came. The second day God spoke and the heavens were separated. The third day God spoke. The earth was created. Fourth day, fifth day. The sun and the fish and so many. Something happened every single day when God said something. And that is the message of the first chapter in the Bible. And then the Lord says, man shall live by every word that proceeds from God's mouth. So, when I learned that about 60 years ago, I said, Lord, I want to listen. And in the beginning, I couldn't hear very clearly. But as I read the Bible more and more and more and more and walked with God in fellowship, I began to feel things in my heart. I could hear God saying something to me. And some good results come out of it. I'll give you just one example. Practical example. I was way back in 19... 67, so before I was married, I was, I went for a student and graduate camp in one part of India. Those days we had to travel by train, two days by train to go from where I was living to the other place. And I was living in those days with my parents. And I was scheduled to speak for one week at this conference. And the day I reached there, which is two days after I left home. I got a telegram from my dad. See, those days there was no such thing as phones like we have today. A telegram which came from the Post and Telegraph Department from my dad saying, I have been diagnosed with cancer and the doctors recommend an immediate operation. Please come back because I want you here because I was the only son. I was the only child of theirs, only son there. Uh, available 
in that time and there was nobody else. So here I was, this is the first day of my conference. And I said, Lord, what shall I do? I'm sure these conference people will understand if I say my dad's dying of cancer. Can you just let me go back immediately? They'd find some other local speaker or something to speak. They would have accepted that, but I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And that day, my I was reading the scripture chapter by chapter by chapter in those days. That day my reading was from Deuteronomy chapter 1. That was around the last week of October, 1967. And I read... As I was reading, I read in the third verse, on the first day of the eleventh month, the Lord Moses spoke, and the Lord spoke to him on that day, saying, Verse 7, Turn and set your journey and go. When? On the first day of the eleventh month. And here I was in the last week of October. I said, Okay then I must buy my return ticket for the 1st of November, which is almost the second last day of the camp. I said, okay, I'll stay here for five days. Um, I have to just send a telegram back to my dad saying, I'm not going to come and know it now. I'll come 1st of November. It takes two days to come there by train. I'll be there on the 3rd. So I, we had a wonderful conference. In fact, much later I've heard of people who spoke wrote to me even a few years ago that Brother Zach we still remember what you spoke to us way back 50 years ago at that conference so it's just clear to me that I was supposed to be there so I delayed my departure I took my journey on the 1st of November and came on the 3rd of November one week after I got the telegram from my dad and my dad said do you know that because you were not coming immediately I decided to take my report and give it to another cancer specialist. And that doctor looked at it and said, no, that was a wrong diagnosis you got from the other doctor. You don't have cancer. You don't need to have an operation. So he said, because you delayed your coming, I don't need that operation. I've never forgotten that all these years. What happened just because I decided I want to live by hearing God's word and he never got cancer and he lived for many many years after that so that's just one example there are other examples too I found in my life but I'm so thankful right at the beginning the Lord said one thing is needful he told Martha it's not working for me I'm not so interested in your coming and preparing food for me or doing any other work for me. Going here, preaching this, that and the other. Mary has chosen the good part to sit and listen. And I want to say to all of you, my brothers and sisters, that if you have not had the habit of listening, you have missed a lot that God wanted to do through you in your life. And after that, when we started CFC, there was all the more the need to listen because I would get invitations from here, there, everywhere. I'm constantly, I get them even now. And Lord, where shall I go? And the Lord said, no, no, don't, don't take that. Don't go there, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there. 
then I would place go to one place and very soon there'd be a church there. And another time I would listen to them, the Lord said, Don't go here, don't go here, don't go here. Go to this place and there'd be a church there. That's really amazing. God knows where the fruit is ripe. I thought this is the best way to serve the Lord. You listen and then go. And a picture I got in my mind was the God's got a big vineyard or garden, not just a vineyard, but a garden full of many fruit trees. And I want to serve God in this garden. And I go to some tree and say, okay, I want to collect fruit here for my master. And I wait there for years till the fruit is ripe and I collect it and go. They thought there's a better way. Why not go to the master first? Not go where I like. Go to the master and the master say, and I ask him, Lord, where do you want me to go? And the Lord says, go to that tree over there. And when I go to the tree which the Lord tells me to go to, the fruit is all ripe. I don't have to wait weeks or months or anything. I just pluck it and go back to the Lord. Lord, what's next? Then now you go to the tree over there. And I go there, the fruit is ripe. The Lord knows exactly where the fruit is ripe for picking. It's an amazing way to serve God. So, after that I decided, I'm not going to just accept every invitation that comes. Most of them I say no. And if God tells me to go somewhere, I go. So, Melchizedek was like that. He listened. Jesus was like that. We, we saw that in Isaiah 50. He listened. He was a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Was Melchizedek listened. And because he listened, he met Abraham. The next thing I want you to see here is in Melchizedek again in Genesis 14. There are only two statements he made. Listen to this, two statements. And you don't see the powerful exhortation, rather encouragement in these statements. What do you get out of these two statements? If you were listening to this, Genesis 14 verse 19, he tells Abraham, Blessed be Abraham, God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth. Number two, blessed be God, most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. He never gave him an exhortation. He just said something wonderful about God. And then he said goodbye and left. He came, brought the food, and made two sentences. His sermon was just two sentences. He said, okay, Abraham, bye, I'm going. Now see the result. Immediately after that, the king of Sodom said to Abraham, give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. You know why he said that? Because it was a law in those days that whoever wins the battle collects all the goods. It's his. The king of Sodom knew that rule. And so he says, Abraham, you can keep it. And what did Abraham say? He said, I've sworn to the Lord God, most high possessor of heaven and earth. Where in the world did he get that title? He'd never before called God by that title. He heard it just, just before Sodom king came from Melchizedek. I have sworn to the Lord God, possessor of heaven and earth, 
that I will not even take a thread from you or a shoelace. You know, in the simple sentence that Melchizedek told Abraham was a powerful message. Abraham, you remember this, you're looking at all these goods and you know the laws of warfare. All this is going to be yours tomorrow when the king of Sodom comes. But remember Abraham, your God is the possessor of heaven and earth. Period. I'm not going to say anything more. You meditate on that and see message what message you got from that. And Abraham began to meditate. My God is the possessor of heaven and earth. Why in the world should I want the Sodom's goods? That's how he did not take it. He would not have given that answer to the king of Sodom if Melchizedek hadn't come and said one sentence to him. But Melchizedek did not give him an exhortation. Hey, Abraham, you should not covet these goods. Just say, say no to the king of Sodom. No, no, that would have been an exhortation. He gave him an encouragement. I'm trying to show you the difference between encouragement and exhortation and you accomplish a lot more by encouragement. Abraham, isn't God blessed? Isn't he the possessor of heaven and earth? Period. And Abraham gets the message. I don't want all this. I won't take a shoelace from you. The second statement of Melchizedek's was, Blessed be the God who delivered all these enemies into your hand. If he had given an exhortation, it would have sounded like this. Abraham, don't be proud that with 318 servants you killed all these people. He was naturally going to be proud. With 318 servants, I defeated all these enemies. Wouldn't you be proud if with 318 servants you conquered so many armies? I'm sure Abraham was tempted to be proud. Tremendously proud. So a second sentence. Not an exhortation saying, Abraham, don't be proud that you won the red battle. No. Just a simple sentence. God delivered your enemies into your hand. Period. Goodbye, Abraham. I learned from that what a wonderful way to help people. Not by always telling people, don't do this and do this, don't do this and don't do the other things, but turning their attention to God who possesses heaven and earth. Why do you covet these things? Turning your attention to God who delivers your enemies. Don't be proud. I see there the difference between conveying a message as an exhortation and conveying a message by just pointing to God and encouraging Him to trust God. This is how Jesus was. He never gave any strong exhortation to the woman of Samaria. Very interesting, you know. I see something wonderful there. Remember, Jesus is the priest according to the order of Melchizedek who opened his ears every morning to hear what God had to say. And we are to be running in his footsteps. John 4. There's something beautiful I've seen here and I've said it above before. There was this woman who came and Jesus, I believe, went there particularly to meet this woman who he knew would come in the afternoon. You know, if you've lived in India, you know that women go to draw water from the well early morning at 5 o'clock. Nobody goes in the afternoon. Because 
you need water for the whole day. And the well is the only source of water. Why in the world does this woman come at 12 o'clock in the afternoon? Because she was a five times divorced woman. And every time she came in the morning, all the other women would taunt her and make fun of her and rebuke her. And so she said, I better go when there's nobody around. And so she decided to go every day at 12 in the afternoon to collect water. And Jesus was prompted by the Holy Spirit. He listened. He did not normally go through Samaria. But that day, it says here, uh, it's, a, it's an amazing verse in verse Gen- John 4, verse 4. He had to pass. That means he chose to pass through Samaria. See, the Samaria was on the route from Jerusalem to Galilee, straight route. But the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans, as, as it says here. And so, all the Jews would bypass Samaria and go right around, skip Samaria altogether to go to Galilee, <clears throat> even though it meant walking a longer distance. But Jesus felt an urge that day from the Holy Spirit, today you have to go through Samaria. That's why it says Jesus had to pass through. And so he did. But the Jews, verse 9, last part, have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus sits at the well, prompted by the Holy Spirit. You know, they were all hungry. And he sent the disciples, verse 8, to go away to buy food. When you travel with others, you normally go to food, go to eat food with them. And the disciples came to the well and they said, let's go and get some food. And Jesus prompted by the Holy Spirit. He was listening, remember. Told the disciples, you go. I'm not coming. I don't know why, but I don't feel a prompting. You go. I'm hungry, but I don't want to come right now. You go and eat your food. And he sat there, and sure enough, you never miss out when you listen to the Holy Spirit. This woman comes, this needy woman comes there. See, these are the things that we need to recognize hidden between the lines to walk as Jesus walked. And Jesus says, go and call your husband. Jesus knew very well that she didn't have a husband. Prompted by the Holy Spirit. And the woman said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, yes, I know you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, divorced all of them. And the one you're living with now, verse 18, is not your husband. I want you to see something interesting here. The Bible says we must meditate on the word of God. That woman could have gone and called that man she was living with and said, here's my husband. Jesus was not going to ask for the marriage certificate. (laughs) But that woman was honest. I've not been legally married to him. So how can I tell a lie? And she didn't know this was Jesus. Just some Jewish man. One thing about her, whatever her immoral past may have been, she was honest. I have no husband. And that's why God rewarded her. If she had gone and brought that man she was sleeping with and said, here's my husband, she would have missed what Jesus had for him. Because... God doesn't deal with dishonest people. 
I want to urge you, the Lord will lead you further if you are absolutely 100% honest. If someone's not your husband, say he's not my husband. If something is not 100% true, don't try and play the fool with God. Lord, it's like this. I remember once when I was converted, one of the things I did was to pay back all the wrong things I had done in my past. If I cheated taxes in the past, I said, I'm going to pay it back. And I calculated how much I had to pay back. It was about three or four months' salary. And I determined to pay it back when I was unsure whether I had two figures throughout my calculation. And one was 20% more or 10% more than the other. 10 or 20%, I forget now. And I was wondering, and you know how human nature is, when you're in doubt, you choose the lower figure. I think I will return this much. And I read my daily passage. I was reading uh, Leviticus 6 and verse 4 and 5. When a person sins and becomes guilty, he shall restore what he took by robbery. Leviticus 6, 4. When you cheat on taxes, it's robbing. And verse 5, if anything is forced falsely, he shall make restitution for it and add 20% to it. I said, wow, it's amazing how God speaks. So I added the 20% and I was blessed. God loves honest people. Remember this, be absolutely honest with God. You, you miss something if you try to play the fool. If something is a sin, call it a sin. If that was a bad, dirty thought you had, say, call it by the worst possible name. Don't try and... say I was just admiring somebody's beauty. Rubbish. Say you were lusting with your eyes. That's honesty. God will deliver you from that sin. As long as you put a spiritual pious title to it, you'll never be delivered. And that's the reason many people are not delivered. They're not honest. This woman is honest. I have no husband. And he said, yeah, I knew that. The one you're living with is not your husband. And then she said, yeah, you're a prophet to know that. Verse 19, John 4, 19. And then you see how, then she, you know what she did? It's very interesting. This is the part that blessed me. Instead of going on with her subject about five husbands, she changes the subject. You know how people do when they come to us an awkward subject, they change the subject? This is an awkward subject the Lord is dealing with about my husband. Uh, by the way, Lord, what about worship? Let's talk about worship. Are we supposed to worship in Jerusalem or here? And many counselors would say, hang on, hang on. Don't change the subject. Let's deal with this first. Your divorced husbands and your married life. Let's settle that before we go to worship. But I see the nature of Jesus. Okay, let's talk about worship. I won't talk any more about your husband because it's embarrassing for you. Forget it. I've learned something from that. I've learned how to talk to people. Don't push them and embarrass them. Yeah. They don't want to deal with that subject anymore. Let's go on to the other thing. And what is the result 
It's amazing to see. By the time he's finished talking to her, and he did not give her any great message. It says here that uh, she went out and shared this with other people, and and verse thirty, they went out of the city and were coming to Jesus from the witness of this divorced, five times divorced woman. Tremendous example. The priest after the order of Melchizedek who listened and went to the right place at the right time and led a person to the Lord. I believe I'm going to see that woman of Samaria in heaven. That's because Jesus listened to the Holy Spirit. I say, Lord, I want to spend my life listening. All those who spend so much time, there's nothing wrong in hearing the news and going to the internet and all that. But above all, listen. Because then you'll have a word of encouragement for somebody you meet that day. Maybe if you have a phone call or email or anything. It's a wonderful way to live. It's the best way to live.